0: Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by Horizon Communications, a global vision for millions of people around the world, and by Unibrite, the unified framework for blockchain-based business integration. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the Average Consumer's Guide to Cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and today we're going down Nostalgia Road, and we're going to take that trip with Howard Marks, who was the CEO of Activision and Acclaim. And if you don't know those names, we're talking about video game titles like Pitfall, Mech Warrior. I was born in 1979. I was playing Atari. I was playing SNES. I had Sega Genesis. I had Nintendo 64, and I was plugging in those cartridges and CDs and what have you. Oh, they were dope. So this is a two part interview. First part is Nostalgia Road. And in three days, we're gonna talk about his new company, StartEngine. And StartEngine is there to help people raise money for their startup companies via investors or ICOs, but in compliance with USA regulations. And Howard is going to tell us about running those companies. And I just wanted to let you guys know something. The past couple episodes, you heard sponsored ads from Start Engine. This interview was booked weeks ago. So there is no connection between him being on the show and those ads. We do not take sponsored interviews on Crypto 101. We just want to be very specific that you know we do not do that. But before that, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com, new website, go to the top of the page, send Aaron Paul or myself an email, say what's up. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a rating and a comment. It helps us out a lot. Also become a patron. Our patrons are the backbone of the community. And like I said before, even if we do not have sponsors on this show, we continue to make the show because the patrons are there to help us out. Come to our Facebook community and learn as much as you can about this. And without further ado, welcome Howard Marks and enjoy this trip down nostalgia road. We'll see you in a minute. Howard Marks, CEO and founder of Star Engine. How are you doing today, sir?
1: Actually, pretty good. Yeah.
0: Is that is that because we're seeing green in the market today?
1: Well, obviously, a lot of people are having, including my son. But the truth is, I think the volatility that you see with cryptocurrencies, it's a natural effect because in many ways, it's a supply-demand problem. If mm-hmm. more people buy, it goes up, and more people sell, it goes down. And it's following the rules of a marketplace. And I and I think it's great.
0: Excellent. Well, we're gonna talk about the marketplace in a little bit toward the end of our conversation. But what we want to do today is we wanna get to know you a little bit. Just who you are. You have an amazing background of all kinds of things starting way back to activision and acclaim the 90s and 2000s and i just want to hear stories from you about that whole process and you know developing those companies and the, the platforms and the games and in the tech and everything and hopefully you can give us some insider stories about product releases product fails company fails company successes and we could just learn a little bit about the backgrounds and the workings of being a ceo in tech what do you think
1: I think it's possible. It depends how much time you have, frankly, because there's a (laughs) lot to talk about.
0: I have all the time that you have, sir. Um, It's late for you. It's early for me, so it's kind of unfair.
1: Well, you know what? The way I look at it is this. I'm not going to bed right now,
0: so let's go. All right. Can you just give us a brief history of
1: who is Howard? Where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? Where were you born? I have a a little bit of an eclectic background. I, I was born in Santa Monica, California, but left when I was four. My parents moved to Europe. So I grew up in Paris, France, which is basically an incredible time to grow up in the 70s over there in the sixties. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in France through high school. And while I was in France, I started dabbling with the personal computers like the Apple II and old personal computers. And learned how to program on my own, mm-hmm. you know, self-taught. And didn't realize there was a career here. Didn't realize that participating in playing games on apple computers and those old you know those old green screen games where right. they're all pixelated. I didn't realize there was a career here too, but I just pursued it and had fun doing that. And I decided finally I thought computers were that much fun that I wanted to become an engineer. So mm-hmm. I went to the University of Michigan and studied computer science and engineering. Mm. And while I was there, it didn't take too long, by the way, while I was there, I met my business partner who ended up becoming a business partner. We were roommates in college and he was interested in real estate. I was interested in computers. And he looks at this thing and said, what's that about? I said, well, there's a lot of opportunities with the computer, software, hardware. So he instantly said, we have to start a company. So we started our first company while we were in college, and the software we were building was for the Apple II, and caught the eye of luminaries like Steve Jobs. So he saw what we we're doing because he read about it and invited us to meet him. And so you, you met till, Steve Jobs? Yeah, we met him in 1983. I mean, he was a young guy; he was probably 26, and I was 22, I think, or something like that. Or 21. Oh, I think actually I was 20, maybe. So he was about six years older, and we thought he was an old guy. So imagine that. And he looked at our software and said, you know what? You're doing it all wrong. Here's what you have to change. Do this, do that. You know, he had a lot of insights. And of course, as most entrepreneurs do, we didn't listen to him. So anyway, our company, he showed us the Mac, in 1984, so we met him actually in January 1984, early 1984, before the Mac came out. And he showed it to us. He says, you can't tell anybody. This is a secret, okay? And we look at the Mac. We said, okay, great. But you know what? I We felt, well, the Apple II is such a popular computer at that time. No way the Mac is going to replace it. Well, guess what? The Mac replaced it, mm. and we failed. We ended up, you know, building a company that did millions of dollars of, of business, and it just completely went into the toilet. And what company so, was this? It was called Arctronics. Okay, that was the name of the company. It was uh, We formed it in I think 1982, 83, and there's this investor called Steve Wynn. He's a casino mogul, and he gave us fifty thousand bucks to start the company. Hmm. So he was an angel investor. And it was amazing. We, we had capital. We had ideas. We were still in college. We were studying. We are working. We did everything. And then we failed. And then mm. we rolled it all into another company and started building that company up. And that started doing well. And we started making some money. And I went to Europe, where I was from originally, to help build the European operation for a software company. And I think we realized that we needed something more. So we were making money. Maybe we're doing 10 million in revenue, and maybe we made a couple million dollars in profit. So it was healthy, but we felt it was not a long-term opportunity.
0: I hope I hope you don't mind well, if I if I just you know jump in sometimes yeah. to ask you questions about your story. Steve Wynn gave you fifty thousand dollars, and then when your company went bust, did he get his fifty thousand dollars back, and did you keep a good relationship with him, or was there some well, tensions after that?
1: First of all, he gave us a little bit more money than the 50000 We couldn't give his money back because we didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. We had nothing left. We were using our credit cards just to pay for food to, so we can continue ourselves operating the business. You know, We just didn't have anything left. But what we did is when the first company failed, we looked at each other and we say, look, this is not good. So we started a new company and gave him the same amount of equity he had in the previous company. Mm-hmm. It's very, very, very rare that something like this happens. Now, we also had our families, my parents. My partner's parents were in it, and we also gave them the equity. Mm-hmm. So in a way, what happened was we felt bad about failing. The money was gone, but we said, look, if we're going to start it again, let's start fresh, and let's give them equity, which we did.
0: Okay. So now you're, now so- you're in Europe, and you're, you, have, you have revenue of $10 million.
1: Yeah, because we're working with, at this point, a company called Commodore, which was making personal computers and IBM in Europe. Yeah, of course. And there was a company called Olivetti, which is this Italian PC maker. And we're making software for them. And that made us money, but did not give us a real path for the future. It was kind of like we knew that the writing was on the wall for another failure if we continued in the path. So instead of spending all the money, building stuff that may not or may work, let's make an investment. And, you know, we were not investors at that time. We were just operators We're, you know, and my business partner found an opportunity. He was always reading these public documents, basically, that are company prospectuses. Every year, the company issues, if you're publicly traded, a document that talks about how the finances are going. And it's required. You have to do it. It's an annual report. Anyway, he was reading, I don't know, a ton of them, like a very, you know, while I was reading the computer science manuals and figuring out the next software opportunities and doing some sales, he was reading these annual reports. And and one company he fell uh, on was called Activision. Mm -hmm. And it was a company that was basically going out of business. It, Mm -hmm. It had some serious troubles. It had more debt than revenue. It was losing money. The clip were... Basically, was going to get delisted from the Nasdaq, which means you lose your stock symbol. You're out. Mm-hmm. It was going to go bankrupt. The CEO at the time was an attorney. He was focusing more on litigation than on on operating. So we were what 29 years old. We found an investor who had 30% of the company, so one big block, and we offered 400 thousand bucks for it. And it was worth more. Right. But the reason they were willing to sell it was one, they wanted it out. They wrote it off anyway. And you know, when you have a big block of a company and you, it's publicly traded and you want to sell it, if you start selling it, people realize that you're dumping it. The next thing you know, the price goes down even more, right? Mm-hmm. So in a way, you're dumping a lot of stock and people are going to realize that. So what we did was we bought it privately. Mm-hmm. It was a private transaction. You're allowed to do that. We purchased it from them. And then we sent a fax to the CEO of Activision at the time, saying, hey, we're the largest shareholder now. We want change. We want to be in charge. (laughs) (laughs) And I can tell you that was not a happy moment for this guy. And he was very upset, didn't know who we were. You know, it's hard to do background checks on 29-year-olds because we had no real track record. But he found a way to find who we were. And so basically he sat down with us and he initially said, look, let me run the business. It's going to be great. And we said, no, 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 we want to run it. So he found a way to give us the company because he wanted obviously some money. So we bought him out of whatever he was doing. He had loans and all sorts of stuff at the company. I don't know. He made a laundry list of stuff and we looked at it and we said, done, we'll take Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So we basically put all our money in. Then we had to buy out the banks because the banks controlled the company in a way. So we went to the banks and gave them money to buy out the debt the company owed to the banks. Right. Because if you owe money to the banks, they are first in position. Right. So now we were in first position because we owned the bank debt. And so we owned (laughs) the bank debt. We owned the larger share. And so what we decided to do is we took control. We fired the board. Now, keep in mind, we are doing all of this. And we're not making games at this point. We're just doing business, Right. Right. We needed control of the company to make games, right? So what so we, was
0: what was Activision doing at the time? Were they making games?
1: Yeah, they were making games on cartridges. Basically, it was really strange. They made a decision at that time that Nintendo NES came out. Right. And they decided not to do any sports. And the entire sports team went to Electronic Arts and created Madden Football, right? Oh, man. So They came from Activision. What a great game. I know. But things were so in disarray. And that was before we arrived. And when we arrived... You know, there's still about 250 people there. There's no money, no prospects. So we decided to take the company bankrupt, and that means we laid off pretty much everybody, and we kept maybe a handful of people. And we went to the judge and and said, "Look, here's what we want to do. We want to rebuild the company, but with the debt. And I think the company owed 16 million dollars of debt at that time. It was a Ooh, lot of money.
0: That's a lot of money." That's a, that's a lot of money now.
1: <laughs> it was dead. So we gave all of the debt holders equity in the company. Mm-hmm. And so the shareholders got, you know, one-tenth of the company, right? Mm-hmm. And the rest of the company went to the people who were owed money, which is including us. We were the bank. We owned the bank's debt. Mm-hmm. So now we could go to the judge and say, look, we can rebuild this thing. And the, and the judge, and then we did it in 45 days. From start to finish, the entire bankruptcy went and gone in 91, I think around November, gone finished Hmm. we were able to get out the company was clean but we had no money so Mm -hmm. all the money we made from the software business was gone okay so we went to steve Wynn and another guy called eddie lampert and they loaned us five million dollars which was a lot of money but it was (laughs) that's a lot of money it was a tough loan you know we had to perform guess what Six months later, we repaid them the loan with a triple the value. Oh, wow. Nice. Congrats. Why? Because after we restructured the company, we relisted the company on the the NASDAQ. And then we started building games, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And we built a game called Zork, one of the first CD-ROM games. And that was a hit. And then we got lucky. Some of the games did well. Others didn't do well. We moved the whole company from Mountain View to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And the hard work started. We had to hire people. And frankly, a lot of people just didn't like the company anymore because it was bankrupt. And it was. we were newbies. We didn't know what we were doing. So we had to hire new people, right. basically. We had to go to colleges and hire young people who were fascinated by the game business but not care about what we were doing you know as a business part and we did that and step by step rebuilt the business and then we had to get more money so one of my high school friends introduced us to a bank and then they we raised another 40 million and you know one thing led to the other we would go to our retailers like walmart and they wanted to return all of the old stuff and we had to take it back it was a nightmare for a few years Hmm. But after the restructuring was done and we started building games like McWarrior and Zork and Pitfall and stuff that really worked. Oh, Pitfall. Yeah, people started believing in us again, right? Right. So we were able to hire and raise more money. And the next thing you know, big hits started like Tony Hawk, Call of Duty. And by then we were over a billion dollar market cap. We were already successful. and. I wanted to pursue other things. Meantime, my business partner continued, and the company now is worth over $50 It's an enormous monster, right? Right. You know, at any point of time during the first three years, we were either bankrupt or not bankrupt. We didn't know. You know, it was just too hard to know where we're going to be because problems came in all the time. New lawsuits, new problems. It felt like we were on a battlefield. But it worked because we were focused, and we just had nothing to lose. We had to make it work. What else are we going to do? And so, you know, I left to start a new company, which was an internet-based company in the education side that I felt I wanted to do. And then after that, a new game company that was big at that time called Acclaim went bankrupt in 2004. Can we talk about Pitfall really quick, just out of curiosity,
0: because it was released by Activision in 1982 i just pulled it up so right. pitfall was a big game was that part of that was part of the original
1: yeah crew one of the four founders of activision a guy called david crane mm-hmm. wrote pitfall did the graphics did the sound did the animation did the coding all by himself wow it's an incredible game and he was one of the four co-founders of activision he came from atari okay they were all atari people the activision mm-hmm. guys And we came in in 1990 to take control of a company that at that point, even though it was publicly traded, was failing.
0: And now a word from our sponsor, Horizon Communications. There are many communities around the world who have poor internet service, but without better connectivity, may never see great improvements in the lives of their citizens nor adoption into cryptocurrency. High-speed internet is a core service and freedom that most of us, unfortunately, take for granted, including many of us in the crypto community. However, in many countries around the world, having stable and fast internet service just doesn't exist. Horizon's goal is to provide great telecommunication service for both internet, voice over IP, IPTV, and cell services. To do this, Horizon wants to incorporate cryptocurrency and blockchain technology as a core service inside the company. Horizon will be launching in the Caribbean in 2018, expanding to Central America in 2019, and in 2020, looking to expand to other locations worldwide. You can learn more about Horizon at horizoncom.co. That's H-O-R-I-Z-O-N-C-O-M-M.co as well as visiting their Telegram channel. Now, back to the show. And now a word from our sponsor, UniBrite.io. Unibrite is a team of developers with 20 plus years of experience in business integration. Nowadays, most companies have strong interests in blockchain technology, but struggle to use it. That's why Unibrite created the Unibrite framework. Unibrite makes it easy to integrate blockchain technology into existing businesses. All you have to do is pick a template that fits your specific case, customize the business integration workflow, then Unibright will automatically generate all objects you need for blockchain-based business integration, smart contracts, smart adapters, and smart queries. For more information, go to unibright.io. That's U-N-I-B-R-I-G-H-T.io. Their token sale starts April 10th, 2018. And now, back to our show. Activision held the Pitfall brand, and then you guys, in 1994, I'm just looking this up, released Pitfall the Mayan Adventure. Is that it? Yes. So I worked on
1: that, and that was an extraordinary new version of Pitfall because it was fully animated. It was not anymore those little blocks. Okay, yes. We actually found an animator in Hollywood who actually worked on it, a true real animator, someone at the level of Disney. Mm. And that was the first time any game had that kind of quality graphics, because typically the programmers were building it.
0: Right, and it was released on SNES, Sega Genesis, Game Boy Advance, and it's a four point five out of five from uh, different Raiders. So it seems like a pretty good game.
2: It's without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time
3: of day.
0: It was like you, it was a big investment to put in this and and what kind of risk or what kind of apprehension or maybe anxiety were you having to put a lot of money into a game like this and possibly have it fail
1: well we put a lot of money in that game and and you know what here's the thing our strategy was let's put more money in the game and make it a better game than put money in marketing or other things right and it turns out we made the right bet the producer of, of the game at that time john Spinale, was a brilliant person. And, you know, we, we were working all night, every night, and all nighters several times a week to get this game out on time for, for the holidays, you know? And it worked. And, and Nintendo loved it. And we sold a lot of it, you know? And, and this is how you turn around the company. I mean, right. we, you have to focus on quality. And then when we did McWarrior, that took us over the top. And that's a robot playing game that was based on a well known role playing game mm-hmm. called Warrior. And that game, then the, again, John Spinelli worked on it. And a guy called Josh Resnick, he was the, the producer. That thing was a monster. It basically saved the company. I think we we're doing 60 million in revenue on that game alone. Wow. It was unbelievable. It was a huge hit, well received. People loved it, well rated. And so for guys who didn't know anything about games, we we're starting to make really high quality stuff. Oh, Mech
0: Warrior. Yes, I remember this game. What an amazing game. I loved this game. You can choose your different mech, you can get into the right. different armor and fight the other right. mechs. And then you can upgrade right. your, your your weapons and stuff
1: like that. And it was the first game in 3D to use the new 3D chips that were coming out. So it turns out at that time the PC did not have a 3D chip in the PC, you had to buy it as a board that you put the board in the PC. A little Mm -hmm. bit like today when you buy the NVIDIA board, right? Right. That was the beginning of NVIDIA, right? And we supported those chips out the gate. No one ever thought that would be a valuable thing, but people loved the game so much, they went out and bought the chips. They would go (laughs) and buy the, the graphic boards because of this game. Think about it. It was amazing. People just went out in droves. And then the game also came on diskettes, which were impossible to deal with. And then also on CD-ROM. And again, people went out and bought the CD-ROM players, which ended up becoming DVD players, Mm -hmm. because they loved it so much. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, game after game, you know, we had failures, but we had a lot of hits. And this company, Activision, was being reborn. As a brand new company, not in Mountain View in Los Angeles, with a lot of the quality people you find in LA who are great in graphics, design, storytelling. Right. And, you know, and we had to find programmers. It was really hard, but we did. We even had programmers who came from Caltech, JPL, which is the ones who, who put the rover on Mars, you know, those kinds of guys. They came and worked for us. It was unbelievable.
0: Well, Mech Warrior was one of my favorite games. So the first one, then I played two. Um, I didn't play three and four, but the first two on SNES, I think it was, or Sega Saturn. Can't remember. I had a lot of a lot of things going on then, but um, <laughs> it was a great game. It was really one of my favorites. So, Activision, you did all this to turn the company around, one billion dollar market cap company. You leave, then you see that Acclaim is going bankrupt.
1: Right. So I was reading the Wall Street Journal in my, my kitchen and I was reading that said, oh, a claim just filed for bankruptcy. Now, at that point, I had some good experience and expertise in bankruptcies, right? Mm-hmm. And probably funding as well. Yeah, I knew what to do. So I called the trustee. I literally pick up the phone and the trustee was appointed the company. Mm-hmm. The company, the year before I bought it, was doing about 250 million in revenue. Mm. And then you say, hold on a second, how does a company who does 200 million plus in revenue go bankrupt, right? Well, it turns out this is always the same story. They did some bad financing, mm-hmm. owed a ton of debt, and had no choice to file for bankruptcy. But when you file for bankruptcy, there's two kinds of filings. One, You do Chapter 11, which is you reorganize the company into a new company. Right. Or Chapter 7, you liquidate. And they chose to go to Chapter 7. Very unusual. It turns out the reason they decide to go to Chapter 7, which is liquidation, Mm -hmm. is that their accountants who do the audits quit from the audit, and the company failed to produce their final filings required per the NASDAQ rules. They Mm -hmm. couldn't file them. And apparently there's some embezzlement going on with some of the founders from the 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 management. It was such a mess. Oh, man. They just went and said, we're liquidating. And did I read this right? You picked up the rights
0: to the Acclaim brand for like $100,000.
1: Well, that is true. Well, here's how it happened. So I called the trustee <laughs> up and I say to the trustee, look, I'm really interested in the company. Um, I saw you guys went bankrupt, and I know you're selling off the inventory. I, I here's what I want: I want the brand and the games, mm-hmm. the you know the IP, intellectual property. Right. And he said, "Okay, great. So what's your background?" So I explained who I am. He said, "Oh, great." And I say, "Okay, I want to pay a hundred grand for the whole thing." And so he he starts laughing. Literally, it's a, like laughing at me, <laughs> you know. Two hundred fifty million dollar
0: company you, to a hundred thousand dollars.
1: When you're serious, call me. Okay. Right. So you know what I do. Classic me, I, I, I'm like, okay, whatever. So I move on. I'm, I'm busy with other stuff. A couple of months later, I read that they're auctioning off the inventory, right? They sold me as a potential investor, right? right. So they send me the list of everything they're selling. And it's, you know... It's Mortal Kombat, NBA Jam, Turok. I mean, all these games were pretty amazing stuff. But they didn't own the games anymore. They just owned the packages, you know, the boxes. But the games themselves, the rights to the games, because they were doing so badly, the trademark, the name relinquished back to the owners, the original owners, which is Midway, Valley Midway. And anyway, they ended up having nothing left. No, they had stuff left, but not that much. Right, right. So I call and say, "Hey, I don't want the inventory. I told you I just—I'll tell you what—I'll make a deal. You sell the inventory, you sell the building, you sell the furniture, and then whatever's left, I'll pay one hundred thousand dollars." <laughs> so then the guy says, "Look, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I say what? I'll take your hundred thousand as an opening bid, mm-hmm. and you have to sign a contract guaranteeing me your opening bid." Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay, so I went out and I hired a lawyer who's an expert in bankruptcy. And I said, okay, why don't you go get a deal? So they go out and sign a contract, and I personally guarantee $100,000 bid. Now, this is around May 2005. And next step is you have to go to the auction. And the auction is when you are actually bidding for the name, the company, the IP, all the stuff is left, right? Right. And it turns out, I don't know why, it was probably my lucky day, they picked August 8th. Now, August 8th in New York, and the the company was from Long Island, New York, that's vacation time. And then they have to publish in the newspaper that they're doing the auction so that they can notify the general public so people can come and bid. And they did that two weeks before or whatever, and no one read it because it was vacation time. Right. And the day happens of August 8th, the judge opens up the case and said, okay, we got Activision and talks to the trustee. Okay, trustee, what's the opening bid? They said, okay, we have an opening bid from Howard Marks, 100000 Great. Okay. So the judge says, so let's start the bidding. And the trustee says, well, we don't have any other bidders.
0: Are you kidding?
1: <laughs> and the judge say, what? No, no, seriously, the judge got really pissed. It's like, what? What about the owners, the, or the guys who were there before, the CEO? That, no, Your Honor, we don't have any other bidders. And you know what the judge says? Done. Sold.
0: No <laughs> shit. That's amazing. I'm surprised the judge didn't go, okay, 101000 for me.
1: <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way. Okay. <laughs> But it showed you something, which is, first of all, you have to stake your ground and believe in what you can do. And I believed I could get it for hundred grand, but I was prepared to go up a little higher. Right. But if it was a bidding war. I could have easily been bidded out, easily. Right. Because, you know, at one point, you're like, it's not worth it. Right. But it was my lucky day. No one showed up. The so- next day, we got three complaints and one threat of a lawsuit saying that – the auction was botched and the judge should reverse it because they published the same day that this was sold for 100 grand, right? Mm-hmm. And guess what happens? So I'm like, wow, this is weird. It turns out that once a judge makes a deal, it's irreversible.
0: Amazing. You guys filed the due process. You guys put it in the paper. You right. told the public. People didn't show up. And you showed up and said, I'll pay this for it. The judge said, cool.
1: And once you go out of bankruptcy, all the lawsuits are canceled.
0: Okay, that's so,
1: part of the deal. So, what
0: were the people that are saying they're going to sue for the judge re- to reverse this? What, what was their grounds?
1: Their grounds was that the trustee did not alert them; they didn't know about the auction, and they should have. And then the trustee showed the publication that it was published. Mm. And that's due. it. Yeah, and that was it. It It's done. (laughs) By the way, they have another bankruptcy the next day, and then the following day, believe me, they don't have time for this. A little bickering. So anyway, so then I get calls from people who want to buy it. I said, no, I'm not selling it. So then I go to Korea, and I decided to license games that are massively multiplayer games, and I brought to the United States some great massively multiplayer games, one called Nine Dragons, another one called Two Moons, and introduced to the American public the and, idea of buying and this was items. all
0: under the Acclaim brand.
1: Yes, under okay. Acclaim brand. So Acclaim at that point was not doing any more cartridges, video games. It was just doing online games. Mm-hmm. But all those games had their own token economy. They had their own items. Mm-hmm. They had their own virtual items. The only way you could play it, you could play it for free. But if you wanted to get some cool stuff, you had to go and buy it at a store. Right. Use real dollars, like credit card, and you get tokens. Mm -hmm. coins, whatever you call them. And I was like, wow, this is great. We got 17 million players in three, four years. And the company got sold through another merger to Walt Disney Company. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that lands me in 2010. And 2010, I'm like, all right, I'm done. You know, what am I going to do next, (laughs) right? Right. So I decided, you know, to take some time off. And after a few months, I decided, you know what? I want to invest in companies because I figured, you know what? It would be fun to meet entrepreneurs and invest and help them build their businesses. And could be games, could be technology, could be something related. So I started Start Engine. The idea came out in February of 2011. Mm-hmm. And by November, I launched it. And I launched it as the first accelerator in Los Angeles. And the idea was to help LA become a technology city by creating a fund and investing in companies. And my goal was to invest in 60 companies. And I had a plan.
0: I listened to an interview with you, and you were very, I'm going to say that you were probably a little pissed off that you're like, you know, nobody thinks of L.A. as a a tech hub. You always say San Fran. You always say these other places. And you're like, no, L.A. is important, too. There's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of universities. I want to put L.A. on the map for this. So that's part of your motivation?
1: Absolutely. So my motivation was this. I believe that L.A. should be a technology city. It has 85 higher Education universities. It has USC, Caltech, Harvey Mudd, UCLA, you know, Pepperdine. I mean, you can keep going. It's extraordinary the amount of universities. And yet they all leave. They all pick up their bags, graduate, and they go to San Francisco or even Austin or mm-hmm. New York. And I thought that there's something special about Los Angeles because of its culture. And to keep in mind, that was before the explosion of Facebook and Instagram and all of the YouTubers. I thought we had something special and I wanted L.A. to become a tech city. So by building the accelerator and creating a community of about 250 of my friends and relationships who were mentors and investors, we could do something special. And I started investing. So I put ads. I got the word out. I went to speak to universities. And next thing you know, I get like 500 applications. It's unbelievable. So, what, but the, the why? Why? I know. I
0: know that you said that there's a lot of universities and a lot of talent in Los Angeles. But is there any other motivation for you? Were you on the city board? Or is it just you know maybe some kind of city patriotism or
1: what was the what Not was the motivation? Later, I was invited to be on the mayor's technology council, and then I got a big award called the Treasure of L.A. as a thank you note. Mm-hmm. That was later. This point was just me. Okay. I just, I don't know. I love L.A. I don't know. I was born here, grew up in France, came back, built Activision with my partner. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what it is. I thought, how dare people think <laughs> L.A. is just a piece of crap? You know, the, the San Francisco don't like the people in Los Angeles that much because look at our lifestyle. You know, look at how we live and, and, <laughs> and they're fancy and intellectuals. And we are what dumbasses, right? right. But it turns out it's false. Internet was invented at UCLA. Mm -hmm. The first telecommunication satellite was designed in LA. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And by the way, Bill Gross created the idea of Mm pay-per-click in LA. Mm -hmm. And Gil Elbaz invented what ended up being AdSense Mm -hmm. in LA. Come on, give me a break. How could could they just? Do this, and look. The truth is, besides Activision being one of the largest companies that is tech-oriented, you know, games, whatever. Right. There was not much here. I'm telling you right now, there wasn't much. And the game culture started because of Activision. A lot of people left Activision, started more game companies. You know how Mm -hmm. it goes. Mm -hmm. So now we have Snap. (laughs) Snap is a big company, but I'm just saying, at the time, it wasn't there. Right. And it was me being competitive with myself, and I didn't have anybody from the city coming to me and say, "Hard." help us out. No, it was me.
0: Right. So I, I love, I love that answer. I love that it was just competition. Some people are like, no, I really want to do something for the community. And I really cared about the people. You're just like, no, hell no. It's just, I don't want those assholes to beat us.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love I that. us successful. And by the way, so <laughs> look, and I also saw this as a financial opportunity, obviously. So I started making investments. So I did about 20 a year. And some of my investments were great. There was these women who came from Harvard and started a company and they're like, great, I'm investing. This one, that one, I had men, women, minorities. I had people who graduated UCLA, USC. Some people graduated from a community college. I had a very big, diverse group of people. And the reason is because I I didn't see the bias that exists out there in in the venture capital market. So there there is a bias? It's a huge bias. Uh, Venture capital only invests in white males from Stanford, frankly, Mm. because maybe 4% of their investments go to women-led companies, and minorities are not even on the map. Mm. But that Mm. was not my issue, frankly.
0: Right. It's just something you saw coming into the market. I was
1: gender-blind, color-blind. I was blind to everything. I just liked great people. That's all I did. Right. And I was naive because, truth be told, you probably – would do better if you just went to Stanford and just found the next Larry Page or whatever it was. But that was not my goal. Right. And my goal was LA, frankly. So I did not invest in any company out of LA. If if people were outside of LA, I didn't invest. Oh, yeah. that's too and bad. We were it,
0: incorporated in Delaware. So
1: <laughs> and well, no, Delaware Incorporation is fine. It had to be based in LA. In fact, I had teams fly in to meet me and I said, I'm going to give you an offer. If I give you an offer tonight and you accept it, you move to L.A. the next day. That was
0: it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so guess like... what?
1: Most of those companies went out of business, 90%. And how do you feel about that? So, well, I was frustrated because, wow, they were great entrepreneurs and they tried to raise money. You know, I would set up those demo days. I would do all sorts of things for them. And guess what? No one would invest. Hmm. I was the only investor, right? Mm-hmm. And they and got you- discouraged. So, who,
0: who got discouraged? I'm sorry. Is it the, the investors or the entrepreneur? Okay, the entrepreneurs. No, the
1: investors didn't go in. I was the investor. Mm-hmm. The investors didn't come in. And they got discouraged and they just quit. They just stopped.
0: Right. Is that something... I mean, you've been through this. You've been through. You took investment from Steve Wynn. You've lost money before, right. before the before the wins. So when you were looking at this from the sole investor, were you just like, eh, this is what happens? You said you were frustrated, but you were you understandable? Or you you just like, "Nah, this is just not – no, I'm not I, vetting I, the people I, right.
1: I felt it was not right. I felt, you know what? The game is rigged. Hmm. This is not correct. Hmm. It shouldn't be this way. The fact that some of them were great companies, they should have raised money. They couldn't, it was too hard and we gotta do something about it.
0: And were you seeing that these companies were minority or women-led companies that were not raising the money or was it just in general because of the tech, because of LA, because of the ideas?
1: Well, all of the above. It was women-led, minority-led, the idea did not stick, they did not like the engineer, they didn't like the entrepreneur, They, you know, whatever. Oh, and, and by the way, at that time in 2012, there was very few funds in LA. Most of, there was one great fund called Upfront, and then a bunch of little things, and not much. Right. I think I think you know I I was very naive. I have to be honest with you. I made a lot of mistakes because I wanted to invest in entrepreneurs. I didn't go and try to figure out if this was a great idea or mm-hmm. not a great idea. You know, I just wanted to invest money and help them any way I could to grow their business.
0: Thank you very much for listening to part one of the interview with Howard Marks. In three days, we'll listen to part two, so stay tuned. And like always, apogeecrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E-Crypto.com. The best place to check your real-time prices and their gains. We're talking about green, green candles everywhere. Also, whenMoon.co, get your news over there, and we will see you in three days for part two with Howard Marks. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.